If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and everything you need is all in one place, and here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Daniel Boone was a man, a big man, or was he? Welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast, where we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. History is full of curious characters and interesting stories you'll never discover in any textbook. We uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between. Hey, before we begin our podcast, I have a couple of updates. We're now on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, so please make sure to friend us or follow us on our social media platforms so you can stay up to date with our podcast. Also, we're sharing historical pictures and documents from Harold's personal collection on our social media pages. Some are very rare, and you will not see these anywhere else, so make sure you friend us. Also, if you have any questions about our podcast, follow the link at the bottom of our page notes. Uh, it will take you to our Anchor FM homepage where you can leave us a voice message. So if you have a question about our podcast or maybe you'd like for us to include uh, a certain topic in an upcoming episode, please let us know and we'll try to use it in the future. And as always, please leave a five-star review and share a podcast with your friends. This will help others find us so we can grow. Thank you. Now to the podcast. Welcome to Uncommon History of the South, where we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Harold, I am so excited that we're going to be talking about Daniel Boone tonight. You know, when we first began our podcast, I told you, I kept saying, when are we going to do one on Daniel Boone? When are we going to do one on Daniel Boone? <laughs> and, and we're finally getting to do that. So we're yes, going to- you did. And I, the reason I, I told you, I said, I'm not that knowledgeable on Daniel Boone, so, but I know a guy that is. And so I'm... I'm uh, I'm going. I'm really uh, happy to have our guest here tonight. I am too, and we're hopefully get to separate a little fact from fiction on Daniel Boone. Uh, let me introduce our guest. We have a very special guest tonight. He's an author of three books. He served as an on-air consultant and advisor for the A and E Network, BBC, and NBC. He taught at Murray State University Department of History for 27 years. He appeared in the movie Last of the Mohicans, and his latest book is Finding Daniel Boone. Ted Franklin Blue, welcome to Uncommon History of the South. Thank you very much, Brian and Aaron. It's uh, a, a pleasure to, uh, to be chatting with you. I'm down here in the western part of the state. I wish I was up there in the prettier part of the state, <laughs> but we're in Kentucky, so we'll get what we got. Well, I love listen. I love Western Kentucky very much, uh, and uh, land between the lakes and all that area. I've spent a lot of time there, and I plan on spending a lot more time there. So I think that's a beautiful part of the state as well. Um, Ted, uh, we wanted to talk to you tonight, and uh, we wanted to learn as much as we could about Daniel Boone. Um, I know that your uh, books, um, uh, would you let, don't mind to tell our listeners, where you, first of all, where we can find your books and how, if they want to purchase one, where they can find them? Sure. Um, 
Well, if they want to support their local uh, independent book dealers, which I recommend um, in your area in Lexington over on, I think it's East Maxwell Street, there's Black Swan Books um, owned and operated by Michael Courtney. Michael's got all uh, five of my titles. He has more of my books than I have of my books, and uh, they're all signed. Uh, if it just for whatever reason one can't get over there, uh, you, my books um, are certainly available at uh, um, Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, there even I was in Walgreens locally. They I even saw it in Walgreens. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, they're not hard to come by. But I do uh, appreciate Michael Courtney over Black Swan uh, supporting my work. He's always been in my corner. Okay. Well, I know we're going to talk about later on finding Daniel Boone. But what's the other two books you've written? Yes, sir. My my first book. Um, it's entitled uh, The Long Hunt, Death of the Buffalo East of the Mississippi. And even though it's about Buffalo East of the Mississippi, uh, it's it's filled with uh, Kentucky lore, with Kentucky hunting. Uh, it deals with the, the early empires that were east of the Mississippi, whether it's the French or the Spanish, the Americans. But I, because I have such an affection and always have since I was a boy for Kentucky frontier history, Anywhere I can, I put in Kentucky frontier history. So it's heavy with Kentucky and uh, heavy with Daniel Boone, Simon Kenton, John Floyd, those kind of things. Lots of information on Kentucky rifles and so forth. Uh, my second book uh, came out a year later. That was in 1997. It's a, a, a small memoir that I edited and transcribed for the Draper Manuscript Collection called um, a, a sketch in the life and character of Daniel Boone by Peter Houston. Uh, Houston knew Boone when Houston was a, a younger man. Boone was an older man. And then my third book came out a year after that. <clears throat> it's another transcription from the Draper Manuscripts Collection. Um, it's a book by Lyman Draper. Uh, it's called The Life of Daniel Boone. It's, it's, the, it's the Bible on Daniel Boone up until about 1778. Draper uh, was a 19th century writer. He never completed his memoir on Boone. Um, so then, excuse me, several years elapsed. And then in 2003, I believe, I did a book called The Hunters of Kentucky, A History of America's First Far West. And um, that was an extraordinarily challenging book to do. But anyway, that, that book has done real well for me. It's still selling well. And then after a, a, a bit of a layoff uh, this past uh, September 26th on the 200th anniversary of Daniel Boone's death, you know, the bicentennial, I released um, my most recent book, Finding Daniel Boone, His Last Days in Missouri and the Strange Fate of His Remain. Because, you know, there's a lot of mystery about where Daniel Boone was buried. And I've been hearing about this <laughs> for a very long time, yes. so I decided to take that on. So yep. anyway, that's my five titles, and thank you for allowing me to, to say those. I appreciate that. Well, listen, we appreciate you taking time to be part of our podcast, but if it's okay with you, um, before we talk about Finding Daniel Boone, your latest book, can we talk a little bit about Boone's early life? And, and the reason I want to do this, because of movies, TV shows, and folklore, there's a lot of misconceptions about Boone, and I guarantee you 95% what I know about Boone is probably wrong. So uh, would that be okay? 
Oh, sure. And and by the way, I really am struggling to hear you both, especially Harold. I hear you just a hair better, Brian, but I'm I'm really struggling to hear y'all. But um, anyway, I'm assuming you're hearing me okay. Yes, so you're, you're coming clear. in fine. So our listeners, we're having a little tr- technical issues with doing this, but uh, we'll get through it. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the, the myths about Daniel Boone and misconceptions about him. Who was the real Boone? Yeah, who was the real Daniel Boone? <clears throat> Who was the real Boone? Well, you know, that's it's when you're dealing with a, a character that um, is of such immense portions. I mean, Boone really is a, a heroic figure in American history. He was born in 1734. Uh, he died in 1820. He died just uh, about two weeks before his 86th birthday. Um, so who was the real Boone? Well, first of all, Boone was not. A, a very big individual. You know, we have this in, impression perhaps because of the television show uh, that came out about him back in the 1960s that he was a big man. Boone was five foot eight, not especially large. He was uh, pretty stout. He was somewhere between about 175 to about 180. Um, he did not wear a coonskin cap. In fact, he loathed he, his words. He loathed wearing a coonskin cap. Uh, that was more associated with with Indian attire, and Boone was a, a practical man. He was a hunter, and when you wear a, uh, a hat like that, it funnels water down the back of your neck. Uh, they're hot; they stink. You know, <laughs> uh, Boone wore a, a low-crowned uh, Quaker hat. Uh, Boone was not, even by his own admission, he's not an Indian fighter. You certainly had Indian fighters, and you had, you know, you had George Rogers Clark. You had Simon Kenton. You had these kind of people that are identified with that throughout history. Uh, Boone occupationally had to deal with that issue because American Indians were just part of the landscape. Uh, But Boone, as much as he could, tried to remain at peace. Boone was a man who was trying to make a living. Uh, In his bone marrow, Boone was a hunter. I mean, it was just like programmed into him to hunt. But Boone was also uh, an elite class of men known as long hunters who went on long distances, typically in the early part of the summer, hunting deer because you wanted the summer tanned deer skins because they didn't split along the seams as opposed to winter skins because winter skins, like now, you know, the hair is, the skin is thicker to support it thicker deer hair. And so Boone and other long hunters like him would be gone for long distances hunting. Um, they would be gone for long distance, uh, long periods of time hunting. And Boone would of course have to deal with Indians. And oftentimes he would try to give gifts. He would make, um, concessions in terms of, uh, letting them come into his camp and they would share food. Boone understood as a little boy Back in his days in Pennsylvania, living with his um, parents, he would go to his grandfather's trading post and see these Delaware and Shawnee Indians coming in. And he just intuitively, as a young boy who was bent on hunting, picked up on the fact that they were far better in the woods than the fellow white hunters. And so, you know, Boone followed them. He learned how to track. He learned how to read sign. He learned how to survive. He learned what to wear. You know, he he understood uh, how to deal with the elements. And he, he learned this from Indians. I think Boone, most of his life is probably fascinated with Indians on some level. And I think, frankly put, they were fascinated with him. Even I've been out in Oklahoma and I've been around Shawnee 
in Delaware, and they still speak affectionately of Daniel Boone. So he was not a man of blood. So he was not a big man, no coonskin cap, not a Indian fighter, the stereotypically way that we would think of an Indian fighter. He didn't collect scalps. He had abhorred that kind of thing. Uh, Boone more than once said he trusted his life to God. He trusted his life to Providence. He said more than once as he got older that the Indians treated him far better than did the whites, particularly lawyers in Kentucky. And I, <laughs> I don't want to get the lawyers riled up. We're already kind of at a tense enough time in 2020. I don't want to. There you go. <laughs> I don't want to get crossways. But yeah, those. Uh, you know, Boone was not some uh, Daniel Day Lewis guy out there in last of the Mohicans with long hair and trying to have some kind of new age moment. Uh, Boone's trying to provide for an immense family. He has ten children. He has a wife named Rebecca. He's been married. He'll be married 56 years. They adopt six more children. So imagine living in a, ca a cabin, uh, dirt floor, single room, 12 by 12, maybe 12 by 16. And you have 10 of your own kids, and then you'll have six others that you adopted. You got a lot of mouths to feed. It probably helps you understand better, too, why he wanted to be out of the house hunting. <laughs> yeah, I love, yeah, I would have spent most of my time outside, too. So, you know, see, yeah, I, I hopefully did. not too long-winded there, but, you know, you can start talking about Boone the myth. You know, we can go into James Fenimore Cooper. You know, it's James Fenimore Cooper who adopted the image of Boone for the, his whole leather stocking um, book series and you know most famous of course is last of the mohicans and and that actually that event of um, natty bumpo and mohicans rescuing the girls uh that came from boone's life came out of kentucky i mean that's that's just some of the greatest cool. kentucky history ever and that's so you know but there again that takes you to boone uh, you know these these early fenimore cooper novels become the equivalent today of like John Wayne, they're like the first Westerns, you know, like Clint Eastwood, and it spawns a whole industry. And and Boone is, in, in many ways, the opposite of that. He's a, a, a decent man, philosophically inclined. He's just trying to make a living, but he really is programmed to hunt. Uh, now, this this legend that, uh, you know, Boone, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, he said history had taken great liberties with him. Uh, late in his life is is this uh was it john filson that wrote that early uh uh i'm sorry i i absolutely cannot hear you okay can you hear me now can you no sir me? i can't can you hear I me can hear, well i mean I, I, yeah i heard that i mean it just it's just it it's pretty indiscernible but I, i'll just take it slow and and speak loud and i'll do the best i can i think we're uh, it's just my poor connection here. It's not you. Okay. Uh, John Filson's uh, Life of Boone, I think, was the earliest book written about Boone. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Filson's book um, is called the, the Discovery and Present State of Kentucky. And that came out actually around the year at the time of Boone's um, 50th birthday, uh, around 1785, 1786. And Filson's book actually is about Kentucky. Um, Filson was a school teacher in Pennsylvania, and uh, Kentucky by this time, by 1780, it really is the crown jewel. Uh, it, you know, the the bluegrass is is what is Kentucky. You know, forget you know like Pikeville and Hazard. That that really wasn't perceived as the important part of Kentucky. Rather, it was the area of Frankfort, Lexington, Berea. Maybe uh, if, as far as west as Louisville, just kind of draw kind of a big triangle there. And so Filson is writing about Kentucky 
and he's describing uh, the land and the resources and the salt licks, and he's selling his book, and for an extra amount of money, he would even provide a, a map that's actually a fairly good map. But in Filson's book, in Discovery and Settlement, Present State of Kentucky, he has a series of appendices, and uh, one of those is a, a biography about Daniel Boone, and uh, Boone helped him write it, and uh, how much of that language is Filson's and how much is Boone's, I'll let somebody else sort out. But but this becomes uh, a very strong seller in this country. It, there's several plagiarized versions of it, and they, they took out the philosophical stuff. Nobody wanted to read that. And they, they, they left in the hunting stuff and the stuff about the Indian, the adventuresome stuff, like Boone rescuing his daughters and the Battle of Blue Licks. And it goes through several editions. And then by the early 1800s, uh, it's the bestseller in uh, Ireland, uh, in, in Germany. It's read in France. Uh, there's numerous editions produced in other parts of Europe um, by 1820 or so. Uh, Jane, about the time Boone, the real Boone dies, James Fenimore Cooper uh, reads it in the Northeast and, and, and begins this whole leather stocking series. So, yeah, Filson, and Filson, by the way, later vanishes in the, near the present day area of Cincinnati. Uh, rubbed out probably by Indians. You know, he's trying to, Filson was a, a school teacher who wanted to do better. He wanted to sell land, stake his claim in the West. And um, and that's not really what happened. Uh, he wound up missing, probably killed, probably died a very sad and lonely and violent death. But his book, The Discovery in a Present State of Kentucky, lives on. And it is, it's a great source on Boone. And by the way, you'll really struggle to find errors in it. it it's very accurate. I, I recommend it highly to people to read about early Kentucky and to read about Daniel Boone. Well, when Boone was living in North Carolina, what was the real reason that motivated him to go west? Deer. Deer. Deer and land. I mean, deer was the commerce. Really? People don't really understand, and I appreciate that question. They don't understand that from shipping ports, whether you're talking about in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, even down in the Gulf of New Orleans, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of thousands of deer skins were going out annually. They're going being shipped to Europe. Everything from breaches to Saddles to gloves to slippers to wear around the house to dancing shoes. The deer skin, the buck skin, the buck, as we call it, which worth the equivalent of a Spanish dollar, that was the currency. Well, you know, you only kill so many, Brian and Harold, and then, you know, and you have other people in the same neighborhood killing, and then you got to keep pursuing them. Well, across the mountains, and you're going from North Carolina straight across the Blue Ridge into some serious Cherokee territory uh, to the north, just a hair. You're going to be uh, dealing with the Delaware. You're going right into the heart of Shawnee country. It's a little bit to the southwest. You have Catawba. You have several different Indian linguistic groups. And so that's where Boone and his kind, uh, like the hunting parties of, of Henry Skaggs, who, by the way, was the ancestor of Ricky Skaggs, uh, these men go right into the, the bosom of America hunting largely for deer. You know, we use it in common parlance today. Hey, loan me a couple of bucks. Well, we're, 
were stealing language that was common to Daniel Boone. They thought in terms of bucks, buckskin, you know, and so it was it was deerskins and it was beaver, you know, and it, again, the beaver are a major commerce in Europe. They're a big commerce in America. But the European beaver died out a century or so before Boone. I mean, men in Europe would cut their throat, cut each other's throats over a beaver skin to make a hat. It was part of fashion. And so deer skins, beaver skins, um, to some degree the Bible, but that's not the motivating factor that has to deal with Boone and the long hunters. These are, these are men trying to feed their families. You know, and and you know they they want to go over that next rise, and that's that's part of the American story. We all kind of have that in us as well. You know, that, Ted, that, that, was wasn't it that a lot of men were afraid to get over those mountains? Was it was it a fear factor? Would they knew that they once they crossed over those mountains that uh, they uh, their level of anxiety went up considerably? Is that part of the reason that uh, Boone was one of the first in Kentucky? Was he one of the braver people to? And new Indians had the confidence to know that he could deal with them. Is that you think that's a part of the story? I think that's I think that's a fair way to look at it. I mean, um, you 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 certainly had men before Boone. Uh, you if you were if you look at just kind of lay out a map of uh, the eastern United States, like from on the west, the Mississippi River, and then go over to the uh, eastern seaboard. Coming in from the west, you certainly had the French that are there a hundred years before that. But if you wanted to stay in the area of North Carolina and Virginia, in 1750, you have two major excursions. You have Dr. Thomas Walker coming out of Virginia, Walker with the Loyal Land Company. I mean, they're claiming hundreds of thousands of acres. Well, Walker leaves a journal. Well, coming from Daniel Boone's own neighborhood down there in North Carolina is Christopher Gist, spelled G-I-S-T. Uh, Gist in 1750 um, goes up. Uh, he goes to Maryland and he cuts over to Ohio, goes down to the area of, of uh, Louisville and Frankfort. He sees the, the, the most beautiful part of Kentucky and Ohio. He comes back and he writes a, a narrative about it. Um, Daniel Boone, most people don't make this connection. Daniel Boone hunted with Nathaniel Gist. That's Christopher Gist's son. Well, Boone, by this time, he's 16, he's 17. I mean, he's he's been a hunter already for seven or eight years. He's in his late teens. He wants to start a family. Uh, in five years, there will be the French and Indian War. Boone will marry right after that. So I'm sure he heard about all this from Gist. He knew because of his connection with the Indian tribes, particularly the, the Cherokee, uh, who are, are Iroquoian speakers, and and probably because of the Catawba to some degree, and certainly the Shawnee, he knew of the Cumberland Gap, and he knew of the warrior's path, Athiamioe, the warrior's path that sunders Kentucky. And so Boone knows if he can strike out and get there. You know, in terms of courage or, or whatever, I, again, it's just, it's just a, an understood thing with these men. They have to feed their families. Yeah, there was a certain fear factor, but as any red-blooded man knows and just to put it in those terms sometimes that fear factor kind of heightens the anticipation and makes it worth going for and pulling that brass ring don't you think so oh yeah and you know some people uh it, it's it's like people climbing cliffs or skydiving or taking risk uh some personalities need that and uh that's what motivates them and uh i'm not one of them <laughs> oh no not me I'm too big a chicken, but uh, there are people that uh, that uh, they, I'm they not need, hearing you at all, Harold. They, so they need that risk. Cat hollering. 
Yeah, can you hear me now? I tell you what, can you, can you hear, hear me now? I can. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm hearing you. Good. Um, mm -hmm. I'm gonna just uh, keep talking. I'm going outside. Okay. Uh, we're uh, we were talking about the uh, risk factor and and uh, Boone uh, taking risks probably other people wouldn't take. And it was also maybe a, like you said he knew um, so much about uh, he'd heard so much about Kentucky and he'd studied Indians and so. He, he had the confidence probably to deal with those risks and where a right. lot of people wouldn't. Uh, tell us, uh, Ted, we'll kind of... Well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me make one point, though. Okay. One, one real formative issue in his life um, that, would, that would really amplify his knowledge of Kentucky is in the summer of 1755, Boone is with... General Edward Braddock, going from Pennsylvania uh, in into Ohio to deal with the French. Well, in route to there, uh, they have to defeat the French at, at Fort Duquesne, and, and they get ambushed. Well, leading this pack train is Scout Christopher Gist that I mentioned earlier. Well, while Boone is with this contingent, he's a wagoneer. He's with the North Carolina Party. He's back at the end of the trail, which is the safest place to be. But he meets this, this tinker. You know, we don't think much about tinkers these days. These are merchants. This tinker's name is John Finley. And Finley had been in Kentucky. He'd been up and down the Ohio. He was part of a trading uh, outfit that was led by George Cron, C-R-O-G-H-A-N, George Cron. He's this real boisterous Irishman that was known for his drinking and, and fair dealing with Indians. And so Finley knew all about Kentucky. And so Finley and Boone strike up a friendship. Boone's around 21 years old. And so Finley just regales Boone with stories about Kentucky. So this is where Boone, you know, this is an important piece of the puzzle. And he tells him he knows the way. Finley can show him the way to the Cumberland Gap and can get him there. And so later, when Boone is home uh, in 1769, uh, uh, Finley shows up at his house. <laughs> you know, he's an older man now. He's still a tinker and, but he's seeking out Boone and he, you know, Boone recalls all these stories. And so Boone makes his first big push into Kentucky in 1769. So, uh, I don't mean to jump into the story here, but uh, you, we can't leave out Finley because Finley shows Boone the way to, uh, Kentucky, uh, to the Cumberland gap and Boone and these guys, you know, we don't think like this. These guys had an eye for geography and topography that 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 we lack. I mean, they 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 could look at trees and know what they were, and look at the sky and know where they were. And so this this is all just imprinted and just tattooed onto Boone's uh, mind. You know, Kentucky, the direction, how to get there, and he becomes the big trailblazer. You know, he he'll be leading parties of hunters. Uh, his family largely he'll be leading in groups of people, but yeah, he's, he's, he's America's original frontier hero and, and the, the, the real uh, pathfinder. Mm -hmm. He's the real deal. Yep. Um, the, the death of the Buffalo east of the Mississippi, uh, yes, sir. how did that affect the lives of Boone and, and other people like him? Well, that's a great question. Um, it was understood by a number of the settlers that when you went west, 
and, and, and this is the, just part of the American story anywhere. You have certain resources that could sus- sustain you. You mentioned John Finley. When Finley wrote his book, The Discovery, President State of Kentucky, Finley goes through and he talks about where the salt licks are because you're going to need salt. You know, again, we don't think like this. You know, we need salt. We went to Kroger or Walmart. But you have to have salt for medicinal purposes, but you got to have it to preserve the meat. You know, Finley would, uh, or, or Filson rather, he, he writes about where, about the soil fertility. He writes about what, you know, they, they looked at different types of trees, like tulip poplars and so forth, cottonwoods, that indicated to them certain types of soil fertility. So you knew ahead of time there were certain resources, including game. And so they knew that you had what they, you know, oftentimes they referred to as wild cows, you know, buffalo, that once they got there, you know, they're going to have enough deer, elk, and especially buffalo to sustain them. When Boone gets to Kentucky to tie this into Boone uh, and and the death of the buffalo, when they finally get to Boonesboro in May of 1775 and they establish settlement, one of the first laws that Boone passes you know, the first thing they do is they have a devotional under tree with an Anglican preacher, but then they they start passing laws. And Boone passes two laws. One is to improve the breed of horses, which I think for any Kentuckian, wow. <laughs> they can appreciate that. <laughs> yes. And, and then the second law is to preserve the buffalo because men were sneaking out and just killing buffalo and largely just so they could say that they had done it. And uh, so as the buffalo could begin to diminish, it, people like Boone um, have to hunt harder to keep their families fed. Uh, the, the buffalo were never as numerous east of the Mississippi as they were west. You didn't have the, the millions like you would have out west, but they were a primary food source. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in other ways, you know, the hides were used for quilts, the, the hair on the hide was used for uh, for uh, moccasin stuffing. The stomach uh, lining oftentimes was used. Uh, you can take it out and like cook cook with it. I, I won't get into the technicalities of that. Uh, the high the, the hooves were boiled up for glue. So I mean, it's not just you know the meat, but that's the primary thing. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I want to leave a little time so you could tell us about your new book, uh, Finding Daniel Boone. We're going to tell us a little bit sure. about it. Yeah. Finding Daniel Boone um, actually began um, very early in, in the earlier to mid eighties uh, when the guy from National Geographic came to our house and was my wife and I were very poor college students and, and was wanting some information about you know Daniel Boone. Well, I didn't have any information. I didn't <laughs> couldn't help him. And then um, when the issue came out in 1985 about Daniel Boone's December 85 National Geographic, it's great, great, art, great article by Elizabeth Moyes, great photography by uh, a, a great uh, Kentuckian who's passed on, Bill Strode, who won uh, two Pulitzers, he's a uh, uh, photographer for the uh, Louisville Courier Journal. Uh, that came out in 85, and there was some mystery in there about where Boone was buried. This mystery about where Daniel Boone was buried goes back to around 1900. And that National Geographic had a picture of the state forensic anthropologist, Dr. David Wolf in Frankfurt, who basically looked at one of the, the plaster casts of Boone's skull and said, well, you know, the, the story has always been this might have been an African-American man who was buried in Frankfurt instead of Daniel Boone. And so anyway, I went and interviewed Wolf in 91 
I began trying to unravel the, this mystery because the story is Daniel Boone dies in 1820. Uh, his wife died seven years earlier. By this time, they live near Defiance, Missouri. And then their remains are exhumed in 1845, and they're brought to Frankfort, Kentucky, and they're buried at Frankfort at the tomb where I'm assuming you folks have been. Yes, <laughs> and, many times. Uh-huh. And, um, and then about 50 years later, there began this rumor that, they, that the Kentuckians did not get Boone. They, there was a, a secret grave beside Boone, and just there's all kind of variations of the story. It, it's kind of hard to sort out, but make make it short that uh, that the that the Missourians deceived Boone. Uh, the, the, the Missourians deceived the Kentuckians. They kind of hoodwinked uh, the Kentuckians into taking this black man, this slave remains, and Rebecca, and then burying them. And so this has always been the story about where is Daniel Boone buried. And I finally just uh, decided I would take it on. And uh, it's it's the hardest one project I think I've ever done in my life uh, of anything just about it. It was extraordinarily hard to do. Um, hopefully you won't notice that when you read the book, but it's, um, it just came out. We launched the book at Daniel Boone's home uh, in the home where he died on the day that he died 200 years before. And so um, finding Daniel Boone will clear up the mystery, I think, beyond any reasonable doubt of where Daniel Boone is buried and we can put it it's one of Kentucky's most famous mysteries um but the actual title is uh, finding Daniel Boone uh, his last days in Missouri and the strange fate of his remains there's well, not well, we been won't... much written about Boone in Missouri and so this you know a little I had to kind of have some overlap there but yeah it's it's a it's a good book i'm quite proud of it actually we don't we don't want to give away too much uh we want people to buy the book and uh, get those answers so uh now i've got the book and i've read it so i can tell you uh folks you won't be disappointed it's a fascinating book and very very well done uh ted it, it's as well written and as easy Thank to follow you. as any any book that i've i've read of course i can say that about all your books i've enjoyed you you know you and i go back a long time i think you and i were talking we were at uh, friendship indiana at the national muzzleload rifle shoot probably 30 years ago <laughs> and uh you know yeah. and uh you know uh so i've known about you for a long time and uh knew back then that you were you were the uh authority uh, as far as i was concerned and i know many people that i know about daniel boone so um well you're you're very kind now you I wanted you, to tell you, uh, well, you mentioned Henry Skaggs, uh, and that that name connects in my family, um, and then I won't get into that because that's not what we're, our podcast is about tonight, but uh, I did find his grave, Ted. I wanted you to know that so I, before I forget it. Wow. Yeah, and well, I, I'll, I'll be I'll happy tell you to something. show you that sometime. We'll, uh, I'll get into that story but uh, with you privately, but uh, I did find okay. his grave, and... Uh, Anyway, it's a, it's a neat story. It's almost a miracle the way I found it. But anyway, uh, we'll talk about that another time on the podcast. Let me, let me, if if you don't mind, let me just put in a plug, or maybe you could, Harold. You could just say, uh, you write for Muzzleloader Magazine, my friend Jason Galley. I, I, t- I wanted to give Jason a plug, if you don't mind. Sure, go right ahead. Uh, Jason's a good guy. I know him well. Muzzleloader Magazine, for people that are interested in that type of stuff, is the publication now to uh, to subscribe to. Yeah, I've been writing for them off and on for many years, and and uh, J- Jason uh, has got his heart in the right place, and uh, not only for history, 
but also for um, black powder shooting and primitive black powder shooting. And so I'm I'm uh, honored to be affiliated with Muzzleloader Magazine. They've they've done me a lot of good, and yes. I'm real proud to be affiliated with that. Yeah, he and I we set up at several shows together. I think uh, we've got one coming up in Alabama in January if we have it. So we'll just have to see what this how this COVID goes. But uh, yeah, I know. Jason, oh, where's that? It's at the Alabama Long Rifle Show at Joe Wheeler State Park. Uh, huh. It's usually oh, around the first of June. Uh huh. Uh, I played at a wedding there. Yeah, we call it the Jim Parker is the host for that. Uh, Jim Parker uh, has that uh, uh, show there every year, and uh, it huh. is open to the public. But uh, yeah, it's it. I think this is his fourth year, maybe I can't remember. But anyway, it's one that I look forward to the most. Ted, if you don't care, I have one more question. Uh, could, sure. Could you tell us a little bit about Boone's later life without giving anything away in the book? Uh, can you just because I look. I'm going to take full advantage of this because I've wanted to do a Daniel Boone podcast. So uh, if you wouldn't care, if it doesn't give anything in the book away. You mean, you want me to just talk a little bit about his life in Missouri? Yes, his later life, yes. Okay, well, uh, okay, I'll try to hit some of that. Uh, Daniel Boone, when he was around 64 or 65 years old, moves to Missouri uh, in 1799. And, and by the way, that there's a good lesson there. And it's a good lesson. that's typical of Boone's life. He was always ready to look over the next hill, ready to start over. He had been discouraged in Kentucky. He had lost uh, about 30,000 acres, which, um, some of that was his fault. Uh, some of that was not his fault, but whatever the case, he just basically cut his losses and moved into Spanish territory. Um, knowing that that part of uh, Missouri soon was going to be American territory. He was not, you know, uh, a traitor to the nation. But he moves to Missouri and he settles in fairly close to today. The area is called Matson, Missouri. It, it's uh, northwest of uh, St. Louis, about I don't know, about thirty minutes or so. It's if you think of like modern day Defiance, Missouri, that's the area. But Matson is where the current land grant, uh, uh, where Boone's land grant was, and um, his life changes, you know, he's older and, um, his, but his sons are out, out there. His last born son, uh, Nathan would move out there. His, uh, middling son, Daniel Morgan was already out there. And that's, and he, he set Daniel up and, and of course, Daniel's wife, Rebecca. And, uh, one of the other sons, Jesse would move out there and, and he'll, he doesn't live an especially long time. He dies the same year that Daniel dies in, uh, in 1820. Uh, his sons, particularly Jesse, um, gets tied up in, in politics to some degree. Uh, Daniel Boone, um, in many ways, uh, was kind of a, a could have been at least a, a power player. He knew many of the the Chateaux. This is the the primary for, uh, fur trading companies of St. Louis. You know, St. Louis. I mean, it really is the gateway to the West. And uh, Boone is again, as he was throughout his life. It's fascinating. He's right on the cutting edge of the frontier, and that means so little to people nowadays. But he's on the 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 area with the French. Uh, he's around Osage Indians, Missouri Indians, Sac and Fox. His, uh, he's hunting Buffalo again. He's going back out West. Uh, he's taking his sons with him. Now he's going to, uh, Kansas. He's going perhaps into the Southern part of Nebraska. 
there's reports. Uh, I'll let someone else sort them out. I just wrote an extensive, uh, about a 10,000 word essay on it. Reports of him even reaching um, the Rockies. Um, whether or not that's true, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. But my, but my point is, Boone is rejuvenated. He gets to Missouri, and he's tried. You know, he back in Kentucky, he's surveying, and he 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 now goes back to hunting, and he's Kentucky. Uh, Missouri becomes Kentucky of old, and he later will try to take his old land grant in Missouri, and he tries to map out a town that doesn't do too well. As long as Boone is hunting and pushing forward, he's doing well, and he tries to settle down to book work. Sometimes it doesn't go well, but um, you know, when he's 1813, he suffers his biggest loss. His wife, Rebecca, dies. They've been married 56 years. She bore him 10 children, five boys, five girls. Uh, he dies seven years later. He un, he he had gotten chilled the year before in 1819 in a hunt, and uh, and then around September or so of 1820, um, he kind of overate <laughs> on sweet potatoes. Maybe a good warning for us here at Thanksgiving, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And and uh, but 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 Boone was old and wore out, and and his his. Um, he, he, he had not only a good life, but he had a good death, and it was important for a man to have a good death. I mean, it's just like, like one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. He calls his family in. He says his last words. Um, you know, they, they sing. They hold hands. Uh, Boone dies at dawn. You know, the Boone home in Missouri, and, and let me give them a plug. If any... You know, if you want to see where Daniel Boone spent some of the last years of his life, just go to the to the Daniel Boone home, the historic Daniel Boone home near Defiance, Missouri, and you can walk in the same rooms and the same quarters and go in the room that he died and so forth. It's all it's all there. And um, they the Boone home people let me go all through that house for years and let me in at daylight about the time that Boone died on the day that he died. I would go in there and sit in that room and just look at it and, and look how the light came through the windows and try to recapture the moment. And that's all in my book. And in my book, I have, I've located uh, several more Daniel Boone skulls. When they bought Boone's remains back, they made a plaster cast of his skull because they, back in those days, phrenology, you know, feeling people's skulls and trying to measure their wisdom and so forth. That was a, seen as a science. And so um, this book has a number of um, previously unpublished documents. It's got, it's got new field interviews. It's, it's a ton of brand new research and it covers up, a, 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 it uncovers a whole new spectrum of Boone's existence. And so I, I do hope people get it and support it, but um I know it's been a tough year for everybody. Well, Ted, <laughs> thank you so much for being our guest tonight. Would you like to remind our listeners where they can find your book? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, the um, I, I like to support the independent book dealers, particularly in, in um, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, Black Swan Books. There with my friend Mike Courtney. Mike uh, has all five of my titles. They're all signed. Uh, he will definitely ship them. He'll mail order them. Just go to, um, you can just Google Black Swan Books, Lexington, Kentucky. Be careful that you don't, that you get the right one. Cause there is a Black Swan, I think in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I hope they sell my books too, <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyway, but if, 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 if you can't get there for whatever reason, uh, certainly you can call Mike or you can get them off uh, the internet or you can, 
You can always get them Amazon.com. You can get them BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, they're in Books a Million. I'm not sure if we're in uh, Barnes and Noble bookstore yet. I think you can certainly you can special order them from Joseph Beth. Joseph Beth in Lexington may have them. I'm not sure, but I know Mike Courtney does and Amazon. Well, again, thank you. And thank you to our listeners for being part of Uncommon History of the South. But before we go, if you listen on Apple Podcast, help support our podcast by leaving a five-star review and a comment. This will make it easier for others to find us. Also, make sure you join our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube pages if you haven't already. And, Harold, next week, what's our next podcast going to be about? Uh, Joni House will be with us. She is a former manager of the Perryville Battlefield State Park, and she is also a preservationist. And Joni is the president of the Friends Group at Perryville right now, which do a tremendous amount of work with the park expansion, which has gotten up to 1,400 acres. And so we're going to have Joni uh, with us, and she's going to talk to us a little about historic preservation and all kinds of stuff. We're going to have some fun. All right. Well, join us next week where we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history.